children's church that want to do so, they can do so now, kindergarten and first grade, and then second through fourth grade as well. Many of you are aware that over the past couple of years, I've been doing PhD work down at Boston College. My research is focused on better understanding the dynamic of how religion, specifically evangelical Christian faith, impacts medical decision-making at the end of life. To undertake this research, there are a variety of things I must do. I have to examine the research others have already published, come up with a unique question, a gap in the research, determine a mechanism for answering that question, do what I have planned, and write up the results. One of the challenges of the research I have proposed is that Boston College, despite being a Catholic university, is not a very religious place. To do research involving religion, I have to define what religion is. Actually, nobody's really super interested in what I think religion is. I have to find an academic definition for the concept of religion. This is actually not unusual to do good research on any subject matter. Good definitions of the concepts are necessary to avoid confusion. It just so happens that religion is a particularly difficult concept to define, so my academic work has been a little bit more challenging in that regard. I mentioned my experience seeking a concept definition for religion at Boston College today because the Bible verses we are going to look at are defining a concept. Just like religion is a common concept that is hard to define well, so is the concept we will be looking at today. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 7. If you're using the Pew Bible, those verses can be found on page 902. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In these verses, Paul sets out to define love. This seems a bit unnecessary. Didn't the Corinthians already know what love was? They're not stupid, after all. 
Love is an extremely common concept. People today talk about love all the time. The same was true in the ancient world. If you go back and read poetry that was written at the time Paul is writing these verses, you would have found plenty of references to love. Ovid, a well-known poet who had died not long before these verses were written, wrote, Thus it will be. Slender arrows are lodged in my heart, and love vexes the chest it has seized. Shall I surrender or stir up the sudden flame by fighting it? I will surrender. A burden becomes light when it is carried willingly. Another Roman poet, Horace, wrote, Leave off asking what tomorrow will bring and whatever days fortune will give. Count them as prophets. And while you're young, don't scorn sweet love affairs and dances. The Corinthians have undoubtedly read these poems focused on love or others like them. The poets describe love as a strong feeling. Ovid's lines describe the feeling of being in love. Horace's version of love is really just lust. The Corinthians, they were very familiar with these feelings. Ovid, Horace, and others may have described them in more sublime language, but they were not describing an unusual phenomenon. The Corinthians, they had all the feels. It is clear throughout Paul's letter, the Corinthians', the Corinthians actions are a product of their emotions. In their minds, if it feels good, it must be right. Part of the reason we have been going through 1 Corinthians is how similar the culture of Corinth is to the present day world we inhabit. They were wealthy, aspirational, and individualistic as we are today. When it comes to defining love, the similarities between ancient Corinth and present day Western thought stand out. If you were to update the language of Ovid and Horace's poetry and put it to a tune, it would carry the same message as the songs that get played on the radio or streamed on Spotify. The way love gets talked about now is very similar to the way it got talked about then. Love is a strong feeling. It is something that we fall into. This perspective on love is not only found in poetry or pop songs directed at teens. It is amazing how often you hear adults talk about love this way as well. 
Many of you are aware that here at Byfield, there's a ministry led by a woman named Judith Jameson that sends here called Divorce Care. And, and that's for people going through divorce or separation. And it is not unusual for the participants of that program to report to their spouse, someone they have been married to for decades, in many cases, initiates the divorce with the statement that they are just no longer in love. They are going to go look for love elsewhere. Sometimes they have already found their alternative. The search for the feeling of love so common in Corinth and today is a fool's errand. The pursuit of the temporal feeling of love in our world grows out of a need to feel validated. In the book, Habits of the Heart, the academic Robert Bella writes, this search for a perfect relationship cannot succeed because it comes from a self that is not full and self-sustaining. The desire for relatedness is really a reflection of incompleteness, of one's own dependent need. What many people call love in our present world is actually a selfish act. The pursuit of this world's version of love fails because the attempt is based on a flawed concept of love. Paul defining love is very necessary. Both modern Americans and first century Corinthians don't seem to understand what love is. We exhibit conceptual haziness when it comes to love. It's not that we don't talk about love. We talk about it frequently. Or at least we use the word a lot. The way we talk about love is frequently contradictory. The way many people show love reflects they don't actually know what love is. This is a significant problem. It is a problem not just in the world, but within the church. Frequently, I find a lack of knowledge about love bordering on outright ignorance when speaking to Christians. Many Christians fall into the trap of thinking about love in ways very similar to the larger culture. The definition of love provided through Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us positively what love is, but also what love is not. So we're going we're gonna to start out by exploring what love is isn't. Love does not envy or boast. People envy and boast out of a belief that they are better than others. Envy is an expression of the belief that I have been unfairly treated when I don't have something someone else does. 
Boasting is proclaiming superiority over others. Love isn't about envying or boasting because it's not about individual aggrandizing. In both actions, a person is saying they deserve others' adoration. Love is not adoration from others that is warranted. When Jason Tatum, the Celtics star player, hits an amazing shot, I feel adoration towards him. The emotion I feel towards him, it feels a lot like love in the moment. But one of the ways I know it's not love is that when he misses a shot, I do not feel that same emotion towards him. And quite frankly, as I stand up here this morning, for those of you who watched the game last night, I know he won, but I am still resentful of what Jason Tatum and the other players on the Celtics put me through. I feel a little bit of anger this morning. Those who think of love as adoration that they have earned or deserved, they can't really love others well. Because they will always be putting pressure on others to earn their love. To live up to their expectations, to warrant their affection. This dynamic isn't love. Jesus makes it very clear that love is not a product of some quid pro quo arrangement in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Even the most selfish people love those who make them feel good. Love that must be earned is not love. The fact love is not entitled means love is not arrogant or rude and does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not demand personal satisfaction. When love is only a feeling or state of mind, that feeling must be constantly reinforced. The feelings that get called love feed off of the positive experiences that lead to those warm, fuzzy feelings. When the positive experiences stop, the warm, fuzzy feelings stop. Without the warm, fuzzy feelings, Love evaporates. Left in its place is an emotional chasm that must be filled. The person for whom love is a means of individual satisfaction will demand more of the feeling of love when it subsides. What they think of as love is an emotional high they are addicted to. When that high is absent, they go through withdrawals, just as an addict does. They will be irritable and resentful. This state of withdrawal will leave them looking for another high. Chasing an emotional high is not 
love. The last negative Paul points out to indicate what love is not is that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This is a pretty straightforward way of evaluating love. If what a person thinks is love goes against what scripture commands, then it isn't love. Love is not an excuse for immorality. Anyone that tries to use it as one only shows their ignorance of love. A couple of years ago, there was a big college admissions scandal that resulted in several very wealthy people and celebrities going to prison for lying, cheating, and breaking the law. Many of the people who were guilty, they tried to excuse their actions by claiming that they were just acting out of love for their children. Whatever the basis for their actions was, it wasn't love in a pure form. I'm not denying that these people deeply cared for their children. The love of a parent was one aspect of their motivation. And I don't know what sin mixed into their love. What I can say is that their love was impatient, arrogant, envious. It insisted on its own way, and it rejoiced in wrongdoing. Love, as the Bible defines it, will do none of these things. If we are loving others, that is not what our love will look like. Now that we have explored what love isn't, we can spend some time on what love is. Love is patience and kind. Patience is the opposite of being demanding. Being patient is incredibly hard. It requires recognizing others' needs are as important as my own. To be patient, I must give others the benefit of the doubt. Patience does not come naturally to me. I doubt it does to you either. Kindness is related to patience. To be a kind person, you must be adept at recognizing others' needs. Kindness must not be confused with weakness. It often is. Sometimes the kindness a person needs may be very painful to them in the moment. Speaking a hard truth to a person they don't want to hear can be the kindest thing to do for them. Kindness is putting forth the effort to understand as much of what another person is dealing with at the moment as possible and acting on that information in a way that is beneficial for the person. Love in addition to being kind, rejoices 
with the truth. Love and truth overlap. You cannot truly have one without the other. Truth might be seen as a threat to love. After all, truth can cause painful feelings. If being truthful can cause pain, how can truth then be loving? That is just one additional reason that thinking of love as a feeling is problematic. Pastor Tim Keller correctly wrote, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Love rejoices with the truth. Because God is the ultimate source of both. God is not loving or truthful. He is loving and truthful. To the extent the love we show is true is the extent to which we are actually loving. The whole letter of 1 Corinthians is an example of what love and truth look like in practice. Paul is speaking hard truths to the Corinthians. He is doing so out of love. Paul cares about the Corinthians enough to tell them what they need to hear. Doing so is hard but necessary. The alternative is them continuing on the path they were on, which was taking them away from God. Love and truth both point people towards God. The final verse we are looking at today, defining love, verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. That sounds really good. It has, a, it has a nice poetic ring to it. I'm sure Ovid would have given it his seal of approval. We should not be surprised these verses get read so frequently at weddings. What it means is less clear. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. How does love believing all things fit with love rejoicing in the truth? Surely love doesn't believe falsehoods. Does love mean that Christians accept behavior from those they are supposed to love, no matter how damaging it is to them? Are there no boundaries to what love will bear with and endure? This verse should not be read as saying that all things are supported by love. The translation from Greek into English is a little tricky here. This is a poetic expression and poetry is always a greater challenge to translate. The point being made is that love 
will not be overcome. Love always bears with, believes, hopes, and endures. In spite of everything happening in the world, love, the true love of God will overcome. Love, which can often seem like weakness, will not fail. Let me read to you from Gordon Fee's commentary on this passage, which helps us to better understand what is being said. He writes, It is the character of love to put up with everything. The sense perhaps best captured by the New English Bible, there is nothing love cannot face. So too, the final verb, love always perseveres. Love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour itself out in behalf of others. Ultimately, love is not something we understand through an intellectual definition we learn. Love is an action that we participate in. That is why Paul talks about what love does and doesn't do. Love is patient and kind. It rejoices with the truth, always believes, hopes, endures, and bears with. Love isn't envious, insistent, or boastful, arrogant, or rude. It doesn't rejoice in wrong. To know love, we must experience it firsthand. We must be loved. We must show love to others. The problem with our human efforts to love is that we cannot love perfectly. We can only know what love is by experiencing the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ firsthand. The love of Jesus is pure love in action. He showed love throughout his life. The love of God was clearly expressed by Jesus on the cross. To know what love is. We need to look to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of our love. He is the definition of love. His love for you is the reason you are able to love others. The love of Christ is not a feeling that ebbs and flows. It is a purpose and promise that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Our world is focused on love. In this way, the present day is in no, no way unique. The Corinthians had a lot to say about love. Love has been a consistent theme throughout history. Human beings want to be loved. This is true of everyone. People go to extreme efforts in pursuit of love. They 
turn their lives upside down for it. Despite the desire for love, many would struggle to say what they are actually seeking after. These verses clarify what love is and isn't for us. Love is action. Love is the active presence of God, Jesus Christ, extended into our lives. You are cherished by the creator of the universe. He has made you and will continue to make every effort to know you and redeem you. The loves pursued so heavily in this world are pale imitations of the love that can only come from God. The love of this world is a faulty derivative that falls short of the divine love of God. If you want to know what love is, you must experience that love. God so loved the world he gave us Jesus. We grow in our knowledge of love by receiving God's perfect love and subsequently communicating that love of Jesus Christ to others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you have made it possible for us to know and experience your love. Lord, we thank you for your love entering the world through Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love being extended through this world by the Holy Spirit and that you have given your people, those by your call, by your name, a role in extending your love into the world. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we struggle both to understand the love that you have shown us and the love that you have called us to exhibit in the world. We so often vacillate between the, a permissive understanding of love, a love that lacks truth, and an understanding of truth that is absence of love. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that we would be able to fully embrace both your love and your truth, and that in doing so, that you would be at work in our hearts and our lives, both for our benefit and for the benefit of those that you have placed in our life to love. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.